We are walking through uh, the next couple services, uh, obviously the Easter story. And this morning we are going to be hitting the triumphal entry from uh, Matthew 21, obviously with this being Palm Sunday. And um, this coming Friday again, we will have our Good Friday service and then, of course, our Easter services next week. Uh, We want to encourage you to um, perhaps invite uh, a neighbor, a friend, um, a teammate, a uh, co-worker to um, worship and come and be a part of what is going on here. God's, God's doing good work, um, I think, in the, in the life of the river, and we would love to see God work um, through us in the lives of others. So um, perhaps this is a good week for you to extend an invitation to somebody you've been talking to for a while about faith or perhaps make a new friend that you can welcome into worship. As we get ready uh, to spend time in God's word, let's pray for his blessing and our presence on our time that he might be glorified and we might be transformed. Lord, we pray that you meet us. Meet us wherever we might be. Meet us, Father, if we are frustrated with life, with the challenges that we face. We're coming here this morning, Father, perhaps not even really wanting to be here because we feel the burden, the burden of life, the burden of work, of relationships. Meet us, Father, if we come here simply status quo and complacent. Perhaps, Father, there are people here who really are just on autopilot, trying to get through their days and their schedules and their work and their activities and not really pursuing you, just living life. Meet us if we're there. Meet us, Father, if we are excited about being a follower of Jesus. Meet us, Father, if we are growing, if we are being challenged, if we are being forced because of your Spirit's presence in us to think things of faith and to wonder more about the call that you've put on our lives. Meet us, Father, if we are truly excited about Jesus being King. If we are sold out to you, seeking to follow you, burdened every day to live for you. Meet us however we might come. Meet us if we come lost. Meet us if we come addicted. Meet us if we come hurt, wounded. If we come guilty. Meet us and through your spirit, truly this morning be king of us. Lead us. Touch us. Do your work in us. We pray. In Christ. Amen. From Matthew chapter 21 beginning at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem, they is Jesus and his disciples and his entourage, if you want. There were probably others who joined them as well. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, 
Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. They took, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, or in the original, Hoshana, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hoshana in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The summer after my last year of high school, and I don't say senior year because in Canada we had five years of high school. Again, insert your joke here. You've said them before. Do it again. After my last year of high school, some friends and I decided that we were going to just have some, a fun weekend together, and we were going to go camping at a place called the Pines, and the Pines is a place right on Lake Huron, just north of Detroit. It's still in Canada, but um, it was a, a neat spot to go with your friends and just camp, and it was right on uh, Lake Huron, so you could go to the beach and uh, make hamburgers over the fire and sit and talk until late in, late in the night, and, and at this point in my life, it wasn't at all about partying. I wasn't going there in order to do anything foolish or dumb. We were just having a good time. It's a group of about uh, uh, four four friends and myself, so five of us, and we piled into one of the cars and brought all of our stuff, and we had our sleeping bags and our, our tents, and we set all that stuff up, and then we went down to the beach. And while we were on the beach, um, uh, we, we thought we were uh, studs athletically, and there was a beach volleyball court where you could just challenge whoever was playing, and there were four of us who wanted to play. So we ended up playing beach volleyball for about the next two and a half hours, and we thought we were good, and, and we actually won every game that we played, and it was really, really fun. And, and I just remember thinking, like, we're the kings of the whole court. You know, it was awesome. Of course, and then there was the group of guys who came who were like 6'3", each of them, and they absolutely smoked us and destroyed us, and we realized who we really were. But it was just a fun time. And so we're sitting watching other beach volleyball players as we're sort of sitting waiting to play next, and this group sort of comes up, a group of maybe about three guys and three girls, and they're, we're, they're sitting by us, so we start talking to them, and we talk for a while while we're watching watching the games, and then Finally, one of them says, hey, we got, we got a party going on down the beach. Would you like to come join us? Would you like to come hang out with us uh, 
this afternoon and tonight. Um, we got plenty of food, plenty of good people. Um, and it wasn't just like high school and college kids. Yeah, our parents were there. We got some aunt and uncles there. And it's just a fun time. And, and you guys might have some fun. So we said, sure, why not? Free food. Um, get to hang out with some cool people. So we did. And we went down the beach, and there was literally about 120 people gathered in this one area, and they had barbecues set up and a couple different fire pits going on and this big outdoor kitchen with more food than you could possibly imagine and more, more soda and water and anything, all this stuff. They just said, have whatever you want. Just come and enjoy and come sit down. And we did. And for like three hours, we're just hanging out with this group of people. We didn't know any of them. We'd never met them before. And here we are, five, five high school or just graduated from high school kids, just having a good time. And it was, it was clean. It was, it was a good time. It wasn't crazy at all. And then finally, we're talking to somebody, one of the, the people that's there, and we're like, what are you folks here for? I mean, why are you having this party? And they're like, oh, well, this is blah, blah. I don't even remember the family's name. This is our family. And it's Mary and Bob's 60th anniversary. And we're like, well, where are Mary and Bob? Mary and Bob, because it was their 60th anniversary, couldn't handle too much going on at the beach. And they went over to the motorhome, and they've been sleeping for the last two hours. And here we are, just five high school guys stumbling in, celebrating Bob and Mary, having no idea who they were, not at all a part of their 60 years of wedded bliss, and we're enjoying and celebrating along with the family. We're just sort of going with the flow. It was a great time. We had fun. We, you know, we talked about it afterwards, and every once in a while we would say, I don't even remember their names because it wasn't Bob and Mary, but I did for a while, and we would say, here's to Bob and Mary just as a little, little toast because of how much fun we had at their party. Oddly enough, as we look at this text from Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, there's a little bit of five guys just graduated from high school jumping into a party that they don't know anything about. In many ways, it's the same sort of feel. You've got Jerusalem joining a party they really don't even understand. They don't even know what they're celebrating. They don't really even know what's going on. But Jesus did. Of course, Jesus knew. Jesus knew what the next week would hold. He knew where the things were going to go. He knew sort of the shape and the form of this. Perhaps in his humanity, he didn't know all the details. But in his deity, God the Father would show to him what it is that was going to happen over the course of the week. He knew that there was going to be suffering. He knew that there was going to be death. And he knew when he asked his disciples to go ahead and get the colt, he could ride in Jerusalem what it is that he was saying. He was saying to the people of Jerusalem, I am king, I'm your ruler. But the question we have to ask of all these folks laying their cloaks on the ground and climbing the trees in order to yell out, Hoshana! Praise be! Did they know what it is that they were doing? And the answer is clear. 
verse 10 tells us. And what does verse 10 say? Verse 10 says this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? What's going on? Where's Bob and Mary? They didn't know. Oh, sure, you could hear the sound of the crowd shouting. You could see this procession. And, of course, as soon as people saw the procession, they probably would have understood. They would have had enough knowledge of how things go, that this person was special, that there was a, 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 even a person claiming to be king, perhaps the Messiah himself. But they'd seen this sort of stuff before. See, this, is, this wasn't as unusual as we might think. There had been others who had come before who proclaimed themselves the Messiah and had been treated as such. People who are going to free the Jews. People who are going to break the bondage of Rome over Jerusalem. So these people might have thought to themselves, well, okay, here comes the next one, and we'll climb on board. So they start yelling along with everyone else, Hoshana, Hoshana. And you can almost sort of picture this if you want. Jesus in Bethphage, and if you've ever been there, which I have, it's really not a long distance. We're not even talking like five miles. We're talking really just over a mile between the Mount of Olives to the entrance to Jerusalem. It's really, really a close distance. So if Jesus was on a donkey, we're not talking about a lot of time. Maybe 15 minutes this procession was long between Jesus being on the Mount of Olives and actually entering into Jerusalem. But in that 15 minutes, you could have had all of a sudden this little boy. Little boy seeing the person riding on a donkey with others beginning to say things. Ho-shana. And the boy goes ahead and he tells a friend And the friend tells another friend. And the friend tells another friend. And all of a sudden, as Jesus gets another 500 yards further, there's more people. And the trees are starting to get filled. And then the city walls which are coming, people are climbing up on top so they can see. And the gate started to be filled with all these people. Oh, they didn't know what was happening. They didn't know who he was. But you can imagine that it didn't take long, especially if you've got the greatest bearers of information, little children coming. You've got to come see this. So this procession was a celebration of a king the people didn't know or understand. But they had something that made them want to believe, and that was hope. And hope is a powerful thing, especially if you're in a place of discouragement or oppression, which the people of Jerusalem were. You've been under the heel of Rome for a long time, as long as you can remember. You've paid taxes. You have soldiers who walk through Jerusalem who can throw out a right into the face of a shopkeeper with impunity in a moment. And you can imagine that shopkeeper saying, I can't wait until he can never do that to me again. Give me somebody who will lead me and I will follow them to liberate Jerusalem from this oppression. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope is something that puts you up in a tree to yell out Hoshana to a savior you don't know. Hope is something 
that causes you to have tears in your eyes. Perhaps this is finally the one. All the others had been false, but maybe this is the one. Hope is a powerful thing, and we know that too, don't we? Hope is the sort of thing that moves us to action too. And sometimes it moves us to this action of the unknown as well, depending especially on how desperate we are. Talk to somebody who's dealt with a sickness for a very long time that doesn't seem to respond to treatments. And if all of a sudden they are offered an experimental drug or treatment that might work, what do they do? Of course, I'll try anything. Please, anything to make this stop. Or if you have somebody who's been involved in abuse, unreceived abuse at the hands of another, and they look around and see something offered to them that might make the pain go away and might anesthetize themselves for a little while, whether that be a substance, whether that be a relationship, some sort of experience that can help them fill that hurt up and heal it. People will grasp at anything with that sort of hope. It often happens that we pursue things out of a hopefulness that they will fill something in us. That they will give us contentment in a way that we've been longing for for a long time. We know that power in our lives often in a positive way too. Certainly there are times when this happens and it works out and you know we're hopeful this person is the person I'm going to be married to for the rest of my life and God be praised we find that relationship. Or perhaps we think this is a job that will help fulfill me and we move towards it and truly it is a job that brings us some contentment but we also know in our own lives that there have been things that haven't fulfilled Things like materialism and some relationships. Some of you can testify to that. Relationships that you've entered into that ended up creating more of a void than they filled at all. Perhaps you pursue a hobby. On any given weekend over in the desert, there's going to be literally thousands of people running around on Jeeps and 4 by 4s not because that's something that they like to do, but because it's something that they need to do in order to feel fulfilled. Sports is the same way for some. Perhaps a craft that you do or an activity that you do is something that really makes you feel important or valuable or like you're contributing something. And oftentimes we do that because we don't feel it elsewhere. And of course, substances offer hope to many. Drugs, alcohol, whatever. The idea is we pursue those and if we pursue those, they will fill a void. And we know, of course, the pain in our culture of many who've pursued that and the net result of that. Because hope unfulfilled hurts. It always does. It always does. Look at, unfortunately, Air Malaysia Flight 370. 
The great tragedy of this airplane that went off of the radar, went off of the grid, is that so far the answers of family members and governments and an airline have gone unanswered. What happened? Where, where did this plane go? Why did it go there? And it seems for every question that is asked, there are no answers. Oh, perhaps some will come when the black box is found, Lord willing. Perhaps some will come when the wreckage is found. But try telling that to a father whose wife and mother of his children are never coming home. Will that fulfill? His wife's still gone. Hope unfulfilled is a powerful, powerful thing. So much so that the people who have gone to Malaysia in order to get answers about this flight have decided finally the answers are not coming. We're just going to go home. We're going to go home and try to deal with this loss on our own. Because their hope that someone will give them answers just isn't working. And as we look at our text, not just this text, but the text of the week of Christ in Jerusalem, we see that hope unfulfilled in the lives of the people of Jerusalem also is a powerful thing. See, they anticipated something happening. They anticipated that Jesus would be the king who comes riding in on a donkey, proclaimed by the people who would begin to take the power of the king of Israel. That Jesus would come and rally the troops and gather the people and the violence would begin and Rome would be overthrown. But it didn't take them long to see that Jesus wasn't going to do that. My guess is that some of the people who gathered in the trees and gathered on the side of the road proclaiming Jesus as king when he came into Jerusalem were people who gathered in the temple courts in Solomon's colonnade while Jesus taught over the course of the Passion Week. There were people who probably listened and tried to hear, how is he going to start this movement? How is it that this is going to begin? How is it that our hope so long in our hearts will be fulfilled? And the answers they heard were discouraging. Because Jesus doesn't teach that sort of kingdom. And Jesus is not that sort of king, so it's not hard to think that perhaps the same people who screamed out at the top of their lungs, Hoshana! Less than a week later, were screaming out, Barabbas! As Pilate gave them a choice. I free Jesus, or I free a murderer. Whom would you have me release? Barabbas! Hoshana! Same words, or different words, same mouth. Only a couple days. The power of a hope unfulfilled. It's because they don't get it. They don't understand. And of course, we want to condemn them. 
Of course, we would want to say, you just don't get it. This Jesus who comes riding on a donkey, believe in him, trust him. You are lost without him. Love him, follow him. It's not what you expect, but he is your hope. But the question is, even if we could be there with all the answers, would they get it? And I think the answer is no. Because if we look at our own lives, we really quickly understand that oftentimes we don't get it. We're Jerusalem. We're the exact same way. We forget truly where our hope comes from. We are just as fickle as they are. And of course, when I say that, you're thinking, this is Palm Sunday, Scott. Give us something good. Well, here's what is so good about all this. No matter how the people of Jerusalem treated Jesus as he rode in, no matter how they saw him in that day and then a couple days later when they sought the release of Barabbas and Jesus' death, Jesus says, I still offer myself to you. While you are still sinners without faith, without grace, without a real hope, I will still do this for you. And since we all know that we are just as fickle as Jerusalem with our hope, we may believe in Jesus and trust him and follow him now, but we know the bumps, we know the challenges, we know the burdens of the Christian faith, and that all of us, instead of doing this sort of growth, growth cycle, it often looks like this, this, this. Because he in those moments, we need Jesus to walk into our life as king, even though he knows it will cause him pain. We need his grace. Even though we take our hope and place it in so many different places over the course of our life, even though we pursue so many different things over the course of our lives, Christ still says, I have died for you. And no matter where you place your hope in this moment, if you know me, I've got you. I am your king. You may go and worship another for a time. You may go and follow another for a time. But I am your king and I will bring you back to me. See, as much as we might think that the same people who on the day of Palm Sunday yelled out Hoshana and then several days later proclaimed Barabbas, those are the same people that 50 days after Easter might have been in the temple courts when some guy shows up who's talking funny with another group of people who are talking funny. And Peter begins his 
wonderful speech sermon on who Jesus truly was. And it's ever so very possible that someone who said Hoshana, then Barabbas, was there in the temple courts and said, I believe. I believe that although I, in my sin, condemned Christ, I now receive the free gift of grace because of what he has done for me. That's our hope. That no matter how much we've proclaimed with our lives, Barabbas, in some way, shape, or form, and you know where your Barabbas is, where you have pursued something other than Jesus, he still shows up in the Holy Spirit's power to change you, to bring you back, to call you into a deeper relationship with him, regardless of how we've misplaced our hope and what we've pursued for fulfillment, Christ in his grace offers us real hope. But as our king, he says to us, hope comes my way, and my way is hard. For anyone to tell you that following Jesus is an easy thing, that for you to truly live out Hoshana with all of your life is an easy thing, they're selling you a bill of goods. Because look at some of the things that we are called to. We're called to do God's will. How easy is that? Anyone got that figured out yet? Doing God's will every moment of every day? Anyone? Boy, we must be imperfect, messed up people. Because we are and we need grace. Okay, well, then this next one should be easier. Dying to self. How's that going? Anyone got that figured out yet? And if you think you do, ask your spouse. And then we'll see how it's going. We got a newly married couple back there. You guys got it figured out yet? Well, I could go over to the Wagners who've been married for a whole lot longer than you have. And if we ask them, you got a lot of stuff ahead of you. Because they haven't got it figured out. Oh, this next one should be really easy. We got to at least have one thing. Loving others. That's fairly easy, isn't it? Oh, it's easy sometimes. I mean, we see these little kids up here, right? We see, uh, we see that little Leonard girl here. Just She's checking out what the other motions are so she can try to catch up. It's just awesome, right? And we go, oh, she's so easy to love. Ask Jill how easy that child is to love at 3 o'clock in the morning when she won't go to bed. Ask the person whose child has walked away from Jesus how easy that person is to love. Ask the person who has been falsely accused in the workplace by somebody who just wanted their position how loving another, how easy that is. See, the truth is we need the king to do his work in his way because if we think about doing it on our own, we can't. We so desperately need that grace because we 
when we are called to the basic stuff of faith, it's so desperately difficult and hard. We need Christ to say, okay, I know you can't do it. That's why I've got grace and I offer it to you and I will continue to equip you to live out Hoshana, even though every part of you may proclaim Barabbas. I will do that in you. That's what grace is. That's why grace is so powerful. It gives us what we need when we can't do it. And as we trust in that unexpected king, we'll do unexpectedly beautiful things and he will grow his incredible kingdom. And as we do that, we are putting our hope in the one who always fulfills. That hope will not go unanswered. Oh, it may feel like it even on this earth. There are some of you have been longing for something from God for your entire life or maybe for years. Your prayers have seemed to go unanswered. I am here to tell you your hope will be fulfilled. It perhaps will be in his time. And his time may yet be years away. His time may be an eternity away. I mean, when we enter into his presence, give him glory for all eternity, that's when he will answer our hope and then we will be fulfilled. But he will answer your hope if it is placed in him. He just says, it's my way. It's on my terms, not yours. I oftentimes will do what I probably should not do, and that is look at Facebook, and then I enter into the whole blogosphere, and there's a lot of things out in the blogosphere that I want nothing to do with and get frustrated by, but occasionally I stumble onto something that brings a little bit of beauty to my life, and this past week, I ended up on uh, an interview that was recently done with Bono. He's the lead singer of U2. Is anyone a U2 fan in here? Uh, good. Um, some of you. If, if you're not a U2 fan, I understand. Not all music appeals to all people. I believe, frankly, that country music is sinful and needs to be banned from the planet. But that's just my own personal thing. Um, I've always been interested in U2's music ever since I was a kid. I had listened to them for a very long time. And there's always questions that come. If you listen to a, an artist's music long enough, you're always going to post questions. What is it that they truly stand for? What is it that they truly believe? It's one of the reasons why there's some bands that I don't have anything to do with, even though I had a lot to do with them when I was younger, just because I, I don't feel like um, what I'm getting uh, from their music is as edifying as if I pursue other things. So I'm thinking about uh, U2's music over the years, and they have a lot of spiritual lyrics, and you wonder, are they just some sort of new agey type craziness, or are they, are they really in tune with what um, following Jesus is all about? Do they really struggle with what it means to be people of faith? And then I saw this interview with Bono. He was interviewed by um, an English journalist, British journalist. And this British journalist uh, really wanted to come to the point. He just asked the question straight out to Bono, do you believe in Jesus? 
And Mono said, yeah, I do. Do you believe in the historical Jesus? Yeah, I believe in the historical Jesus. I mean, history bears out. This is Bono speaking. History bears out that he actually existed, that he did live in Jerusalem at such and such a time. He did walk through Galilee. There's historical and archaeological record that says that. Okay, but do you believe in Jesus as the Son of God? Oh, yes, I do. Do you pray to Jesus who's the Son of God? Yes, I do. And this guy keeps on pushing. He's like, why, why would you? Why do you believe in Jesus? And here's what this man said. What Bono said. He said, I have a really hard time with people who say that Jesus was simply a good teacher or a good moral teacher. Because Jesus said he was the son of God. And his words were, this guy has a messianic complex if he's not telling the truth beyond like rock stars. And this is a guy who would know because Bono's a rock star and he knows what messianic complexes among rock stars are all about. He said, if, if, if Jesus said those things, he had a messianic complex beyond anything. He said, like, it's Charles Manson type stuff. This guy believes he was God. So either he's telling the truth or he, and this is again the British side of him, or he's Irish, so he says, either that or he's a nutter. He's a nutter. He's got to be crazy. So either he's telling the truth or he's a nutter. And then he said, I refuse to believe that billions of people over the course of history have had their lives transformed by a nutter. I refuse to believe that billions of people over the course of history have met and been changed and been challenged and moved, taken from death into life, taken from brokenness into wholeness, taken from a mess into beauty by a nutter, by a nutter. When Jesus comes and proclaims to Jerusalem and to us, I am the king. Either he speaks truth or he's a nutter. We know he speaks truth. And so for us to accept and have hope in that truth, we're going to mess it up. We're going to sometimes live out Barabbas instead of Hoshana. We're sometimes going to be moved to put hope in something else if only for a time and pursue something that shows some semblance of, of something that we want. But grace says, the Spirit says, God says, I will gather you. I will bring you home because I love you. I am your king and I speak truth. I'm not some crazy guy. I can change your life. If you're here today and you think that Jesus was just a moral teacher, but you're not willing to accept the fact that he actually is your king. If, if you're maybe wondering whether or not he is, please come talk with me afterwards. This is important stuff. On this Palm Sunday, this day, Jesus says to you and to me, to Jerusalem, I am king. And sure, it's an unexpected, it's a crazy kingship. It's a hard 
road to travel, but he also says, and I will be with you and my grace will be sufficient for you and I will transform you if you will place your hope in me. Let's talk and let's pray. God, we are grateful for your kingship in our lives, that you have proclaimed yourself king. You fulfilled the text in all ways. All text points to you, O Jesus, as our king, our Lord, our transformer, the one who changes us, from, moves us from death into life. Lord God, may we put our hope in you, and I pray for those who are here this morning who have their hope elsewhere, whether that be in a relationship or an experience and money and something other than you. Father, make them really, really, really uncomfortable. The word we might use is break them, break us, so that we can bend the knee towards you, receive the grace that you offer us freely, that our lives might be changed and moved. We might pursue you in worship. We might pursue you with our lives that we might see the kingdom grow in us. Father, do that work in us today, we pray.